Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Every weekend for the past 3 months, in cities across Israel, hundreds of thousands of people have been gathering and shouting a four-syllable chant that captures the spirit of their protest. Demokratia, demokratia, democracy, democracy, you hear them say with forceful clarity. These are Israelis of all ages and from all walks of life, and they're out on the streets protesting against judicial reforms proposed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. They say that these changes would undermine Israel's democratic system and destroy the country as they know it. This outrage about a reform that would allow ministers to choose Supreme Court judges and would limit the court's powers. It's divided the country like nothing before. You've got generals, scholars, entrepreneurs, former heads of Mossad, some of your closest political allies have come out and attacked this. And drawn unusually strong criticism from Israel's closest ally. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is dismissing President Biden's calls to drop his judicial reform plan. Mr Netanyahu stressed that as a sovereign country, Israel would make its decisions by the will of its people, not based on pressures from abroad. Then last week, as protests reached an almost revolutionary pitch, there was a sudden pause. Out of national responsibility, I have decided to suspend the second and third readings of the law. The plans for judicial reform have been suspended, at least for a few weeks. But the issue hasn't gone away. We don't trust the government and certainly not the prime minister and his gang. We believe that we have to keep on protesting. What do these protests tell us about democracy in Israel? And as the country marks its 75th anniversary in a few weeks, how significant a moment is this for this still young and turbulent nation? You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Josh Glancy. Today, Israel, is democracy under threat? I'm Anshul Pfeffer, and I'm a correspondent in Jerusalem. I've been covering for the last three months the turmoil around 
Netanyahu government's constitutional plans. For the past three months, Israel has seen the biggest protests in the country's history. They've brought parts of Tel Aviv to a halt some evenings. Paint us a picture of, of what's been happening and, and what have you seen? Well, as you say, parts of Tel Aviv have been brought to a halt, but also other parts of the country, there have been nights of protests that have had simultaneously 150 different sites around the country. In Jerusalem, the roads were blocked. These protests have been taking place week after week. Every Saturday night was a protest night. And during the week, people gave up days of work to come to Jerusalem and be at the protests outside the Knesset, which is Israel's parliament. It it has no precedent in Israel. There have been, in the past, demonstrations in Israel where hundreds of thousands of people came out on the streets. But I think just after Netanyahu announced that he was firing his defense minister who who would dare to speak out against the legal legislation. Mr. Gallant is a member of the governing Likud party. He was the first to break ranks with the prime minister. He said giving the government final say over all judicial appointments and weakening the powers of the Supreme Court was a threat to Israel's security. Tens of thousands and at some point hundreds of thousands of people began streaming out onto the streets just really immediately, they were the people were summoned by their WhatsApp groups and told, you know, we're all meeting. In every town, there was a different place where they met up. And uh, since I'm in Jerusalem and the place that was chosen here was around Netanyahu's house, I rushed there. And by 10 in the evening, there were already thousands of people besieging Netanyahu's house. The, the police were overwhelmed. They really didn't manage to hold them back. I think it was the protesters themselves who kind of agreed that they wouldn't actually stand outside Netanyahu's house, but just about 20 yards away. It was a moment when it was clear that that Netanyahu had had lost control. I've covered revolutions in Egypt, in Tunisia, in Ukraine. I've seen what happens when a, a large number of people rise up and the security forces can't hold them back. And it felt like one of those moments in Israel because the protesters didn't really plan anything violent and weren't going to weren't going to storm Netanyahu's house, that then it didn't happen. But it certainly could have if enough protesters wanted that to happen. And that was a, quite an eye-opening moment because I've never seen that in all my years of covering Israel. So who are all these people that are protesting and what are they really protesting about? So the range of uh, the protesters is actually quite diverse. Originally, it was mainly people from left-wing organizations and anti-corruption groups. That was the first weekend. But ever since the second weekend, the numbers began swelling. And it's very much the Israeli middle class, predominantly secular, but also quite a few what we call modern Orthodox religious uh, people joining in, especially in the Jerusalem protest. I was a soldier in the Six-Day War. I was wounded in the 73 war. And we are fighting for a democratic, liberal, Western country. We won't let Israel be a dictatorship. It's just not going to happen. We won't back down. Basically, Israelis who are not happy with the direction of the current government towards a more uh, religious and nationalistic direction. And the focus, of course, is around the government's 
plans which have currently been suspended because of the protests to severely weaken the Supreme Court in Israel and basically do away with most of the checks and balances on Israel's fragile democracy. But really, it's a very broad spectrum of people. Many people who in the past wouldn't have gone to protests. I've met many people who told me this is the first time they've been to a protest in 20 or 30 years or even in their lifetime. And perhaps one of the most surprising developments was the fact that the tech sector, high-tech companies, they're both both the management and the employees felt that they needed to join these protests as a group and say that they feel that uh, the changes that the government was planning, which would severely affect the, the climate in Israel and wouldn't allow what is a knowledge-based economy, uh, the tech sector is responsible for over half of Israel's exports, uh, it wouldn't allow that kind of economy to continue flourishing. Okay, so that's the, that's the protest movement that's emerged from these proposed judicial changes. But tell us about the changes themselves. Um, they're being proposed by Benjamin Netanyahu's government. What's the current setup of the judiciary? And how does he propose to change it? So Israel doesn't have a written constitution. When Israel was founded in 1948, the first parliament elected was supposed to be a constitutional assembly. They were supposed to draft a constitution and then Israelis were supposed to vote and confirm it. But there were a lot of arguments at the time over many of our issues of state and religion, also of issues of citizenship. And after about a year and a half, the first Knesset abandoned the idea of drafting a constitution. Israel since then has not had a constitution. There are what's called basic laws, which are an attempt to pass laws which will have a higher status than ordinary laws. And in that vacuum, the Supreme Court has at times intervene both uh, against government policy and against legislation, saying that this is not constitutional. This does not fit in with those basic laws which have which have a semi-constitutional meaning. Now, since the powers of the Supreme Court are not well defined by law, this has created a lot of resentment from the government. And since in the last 30 odd years, most of the time the government has been a right-wing government, this has caused resentment mainly on the right wing and also from religious circles who claim that the court is somehow interfering in matters of personal belief. And because Israel only has one house of parliament, it doesn't have a bicameral situation like you have in, the, in Britain, there isn't really any other form of checks and balances or review over government decisions other than the Supreme Court. So despite the fact that the argument that the court's powers have never really been defined is a valid one. The counter-argument is if you take those powers away, then there will be no check on the government's power. So what are the exact reforms that Benjamin Netanyahu is proposing and what will change if they go through? So the first tranche of legislation that they plan to pass included four laws. One which would have uh, changed the composition of the Judicial Appointments Committee, basically giving the government and the coalition control of who would be appointed to the Supreme Court. Currently, it's a committee where no one has has a veto or or can impose their will. It's a committee both of politicians, uh, representatives of the Bar Association, and uh, the Supreme Court judges themselves. So under the new law, which hasn't passed, that would have changed and the government would have control. There was another law which would have basically allowed the Knesset to pass legislation which the Supreme Court could not then 
overrule and say it was uh, in any way unconstitutional. Another law limiting the grounds on which the Supreme Court could rule against government policies. And a fourth law which would have uh, replaced the legal counsels of the government ministries who are currently civil servants working under the Attorney General to basically any private lawyer that, that a minister wanted to hire as their legal counsel. Under those laws, the, the power of the Supreme Court for judicial review and also the Attorney General's uh, power to, to guide the government ministries would have been almost done away with. Why is this quite technical change to, or proposed change, to Israel's judiciary causing such an almighty row? I mean, its opponents are describing it as an existential threat to the country. Why has the temperature been ratcheted up quite so high? Because it's not just a technical change. This is, in the end of the day, in, in a functioning liberal democracy, the only real limit on the government's power. And it's not just a technical matter. And Israelis, especially secular middle-class liberal Israelis, fear that a government, which, will, which as the current government is, will be dominated by nationalistic and ultra-religious parties, will have too much power if the Supreme Court doesn't have the power to limit them. So at the centre of all of this sits the quite remarkable figure of of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister. Uh, You quite literally wrote the book on on the man they call Bibi. What kind of a character is he? And why does he tend to provoke such strong emotions from his opponents? Well, Netanyahu has always provoked strong emotions because he is the quintessential personality politician. Prime Minister, you've been elected six times. You're the longest serving Prime Minister in Israel's history, 15 years. Israel is 75 in a few weeks' time. Is this your biggest challenge right now? It's a very big challenge, but I I think that the prospects for Israel are great. I think there is a a lot of concern about the democratic judicial reform that we want to move ahead with. But people think that it's going to... uh, uh, to result in a, in a fissure that I don't think will last because people will see at the end that Israel was a democracy, is a democracy, and will be even a stronger democracy after this democratic reform. So I think yeah, his party hasn't published a manifesto in the last seven or eight elections because basically the idea is you should trust Netanyahu. You don't need a manifesto if you have a leader, a strong and wise leader that everybody is supposed to trust. And that is in itself one of the things that, that angers his opponents because there is an authoritarian uh, style there to his leadership. Well, he is somebody who has a very clear sense of his own historic destiny. I made Israel the most liberal country uh, um, among the most liberal countries on the planet. I liberalized its uh, economy, turned it from a straight-jacketed uh, uh, socialist economy to a free market economy uh, that benefited the entire people. I uh, brought in uh, investments into the Arab sector more than all the previous governments combined. He's convinced that if he's not the leader, Israel will be facing a terrible calamity. And there's, there is a circle of sycophants around him telling him similar things. And he gets up in the morning and that's what he thinks. I'm getting up in the morning and I'm saving Israel. In recent years, he himself has been hauled into court as a defendant in a corruption case. There are charges of bribery and fraud against him. So there is obviously the possibility that Netanyahu in the past supported independence of the courts now is much less friendly towards those courts. So that could also be a reason why Netanyahu allow this to go ahead. And so you mentioned the the ongoing 
trials of Bibi Netanyahu. Tell us a little bit about that. How significant do you think they've been and and why has he come under such legal threat? Netanyahu is now facing three charges of fraud and one charge of bribery in the Jerusalem District Court. He, of course, vehemently denies all the charges. But the trial has caused this weird situation where you have a prime minister sitting in his office in Jerusalem, running the country, while at the same time, a short distance away from him in the Jerusalem District Court, there's a trial going where he is the number one defendant. And it's a bizarre situation. Nobody imagined that once Netanyahu was indicted, he would stay on. Nobody imagined that Netanyahu could brazen it out. And he has brazened it out. That's why Israel's in this unnatural situation where it has a prime minister who is serving as prime minister while being in the dock. Coming up, the plans for judicial reform will resume again in a few weeks. Can Bibi change public opinion? And just how big are the stakes here? Could it bring him down yet again? That's after this message from a colleague. I'm Louise Callahan, a foreign correspondent for The Sunday Times. I work from the front lines of international politics and war, bringing you stories from the Black Sea to the Persian Gulf. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Benjamin Netanyahu. 
Israel has sworn in Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister of the most right-wing government in the country's history. It's Netanyahu's sixth term as prime minister. So, Anshul, despite the corruption charges against him and the fact he was ousted by a coalition of rivals in only 2021, Netanyahu came back to power in December last year for an almost uh, unbelievable sixth term. How did that happen? Netanyahu's problem right now, his political problem for the last three years has been the fact that he's on trial. And ever since he was indicted, the centrist parties and even some of the right-wing politicians have said that they won't sit together with him in a coalition. Now, Israel has proportional representation, uh, so that means that the Knesset, the parliament, is... um, is a parliament with many parties. No one party ever has a majority. So every government has to be a coalition government. And Netanyahu's options for forming a coalition have been severely limited by the fact that parties which in the past were prepared to sit with him, centrist parties, are no longer potential partners for him. So it's left him with a much smaller base with with which to form a coalition, which is one of the main reasons why Israel had four stalemated elections between 2019 and 2021. The story of the night in Israel, stalemate again for the fourth time in two years. If the exit polls are right, Benjamin Netanyahu will fall short of the majority he needs to form a government. A crushing blow to his future ambitions in a country growing tired of back-to-back votes. And finally last year in the fifth of those elections, his Likud party and the parties of the far right and religious parties which do support him managed to eke out a majority largely because of the way in which the other parties, which are now the opposition, were split and, and not as well coordinated as his parties are. So he won really by keeping his base, even though it was a limited base, together and by bringing in these what were then splinter far-right parties that nobody would ever have anything to do with in the past, he legitimized them. Jewish power is the main party on this far-right fringe. He legitimized them. He brought them into the broader right-wing and religious camp and through them managed to eke out those last few votes he needed to finally win a majority. So you mentioned these these far-right elements and and there are two figures in particular that, that seem to have come to prominence. I wonder if you could tell us about them. Who are the the key figures in in this far-right fringe? So the two leaders you're you're referring to, I think, are are Bezalel Smotrich, who's the finance minister. And he's part of a wider religious Zionist uh, group or party, which has been many times in the coalition, but he's taken them to, to a very radical religious and nationalist edge. And he's now the finance minister. Now, Israel's finance minister has sparked a backlash after saying there's no such thing as the Palestinian people. At a conference in Paris on Sunday, Bezalel Smotrich described Palestinians as an invention of the past century. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. There's no such thing as a Palestinian people. Do you know who's Palestinian? I am Palestinian. He's ostracized by the Americans. He was in Washington a couple of weeks ago and none of the administration would meet him. The International Monetary Fund wouldn't meet him. He only had a few meetings with with Israeli and Jewish groups. And even there, there were protests against him. This is a rather bizarre situation which the man in charge of Israel's finances can't talk to his counterparts in Washington. And then the more more radical leader is Itamar Ben-Gvir, the leader of the Jewish Power Party. 
He supports relaxing open-fire rules against Palestinian rioters and wants security forces to be immune from criminal prosecution. Ben Gavir has a long history of inciting anti-Palestinian hatred. He's someone who was running around the streets of Jerusalem for the last 25 years with groups of, of, really of kids trying to pick fights with Arabs and with political opponents. And he, despite his violent uh, conduct over the years, he's also a lawyer who has found the way to take what is or was a, a party that had been uh, described as a terror organization to rebuild it within, somehow within the margins of the law. The Jewish power is the successor to the Kach party, which is now an illegal terror organization. But he somehow managed to change a few things in the party manifesto and slowly worm himself into the establishment. And when Netanyahu needed those extra votes, he was there. He's now the national security minister in charge of the police. Now, Netanyahu's role in in what's been happening in the last three months is not that clear because he didn't present the legislation. It was presented by his justice minister, who is a very influential chap in Likud called Yariv Levin. He uh, has been for many years, had this kind of hardline anti-Supreme Court agenda, but Netanyahu in the past never allowed that agenda to become government policy. Until very recently, Netanyahu was saying how much he believes in liberal democracy and in independence of the courts and so on. And this really wasn't an issue for Netanyahu. It wasn't part of his agenda. And it only became an agenda three months ago when the new justice minister presented it just six days after the new government was sworn in. And for some of the other parties in the coalition, the religious parties, the far-right parties in the coalition, who don't like the Supreme Court either, it's also part of their agenda. I, I don't really think that this is necessarily the kind of policy Netanyahu would have been pursuing if he was in charge of his coalition as he has been in the past. So the country you described sounds incredibly divided. What has this past three months of protest and disagreement shown us about the division lines that exist in Israel today and how deep some of them run? Well, it showed us what we already knew, but it really brought that out into the open. There is parts of the country which are represented by the coalition, the religious communities, the settlers, the far right, want a much more nationalist and religious Israel. And there's the other half of the country. I'm talking here mainly about the Jewish population. There's, this has less been about the Arab-Israeli population, which make up about 20% of Israeli population. But amongst the 80% of Israel who are Jews, it's really split down the middle. The middle class, the secular Israelis, also some of the religious but more liberal religious Israelis want to keep the current system where there is a, a degree of, uh, of civil liberty and uh, minorities are to some level protected. And the Supreme Court has the power to intervene in the government. They feel that these are essential safeguards for their secular and liberal way of life. And these are also the parts of the country which pay most of the taxes and serve in the, in the armed forces and security services. So these people are very worried about where Israel is going to. That's why they took to the streets. And even though the legislation has been suspended now, this division within Israeli society certainly isn't going away. So these protests have been going on for many weeks. But last week, Benjamin Netanyahu made a big announcement. Uh, What did he say and why? Well, after the general strike was called and there was so much pressure both from the protests and from the Americans, he finally announced 
that he's suspending the uh, the legislation of these laws limiting the Supreme Court's uh, powers and independence and that uh, there'll be a period of, of what he calls true dialogue and uh, an attempt to find some kind of uh, agreed upon uh, constitutional reform. Out of national responsibility, I have decided to suspend the second and third readings of the law. There is one thing that I cannot accept. There is an extremist minority that is prepared to tear our country to pieces. It is using violence and incitement. It is talking civil war. He also said that they'll continue to try and legislate these things in the next session, which begins at the end of April. Everything is still possible. But I think Netanyahu at this point is really keeping his options open. He knows how much his coalition is eager to pass this legislation and weaken the Supreme Court. He knows what a price he's paid over the last three months due to the protests. Israel's economy has been damaged, security forces are demoralized, and in the polls, Likud has lost a lot of votes. So... He knows the price. He understands that he's in a lose-lose situation right now because he, he, he can either jeopardize his coalition or he can pay the price of trying to push it through again. And there will certainly be furious protests once again and all those same, same pressures will return. So the government is now in, in this uh, period of consultations with, the, with Israel's president, Isaac Herzog. And I think Netanyahu will try and string that process out for as long as he can and just play for time. Meanwhile, he's prime minister, his coalition is intact. So I, I don't think he wants to make a decision whether to continue uh, with the legislation or to go to some kind of compromise or just to give it up altogether at this point. As far as he's concerned, as long as he's in office, these negotiations can continue for the foreseeable future. Is there a chance this reform will still happen? Can you see a path forward for it over the coming months? The, uh, the coalition, many within the coalition are saying this is just a tactical retreat and we'll be back better prepared in the next Knesset session and we'll try and pass it again. And the thought that some of them may have that if they just try and sell this in a better way to the Israeli public, uh, then they can somehow pass it. I, I don't think that that has any base in reality. I think those who are against the what they call the legal reform at this point will not be convinced. And even some who were in principle in favor of it are saying that we do think there should be constitutional changes here, but not in this way, not in a way which is splitting Israel down the middle and causing so much chaos in the country. I don't think that many Israelis will have an appetite to, to, to replay the last three months. And if the government does cause that to happen, I think they'll lose even more support in Israel. So what, what do you think this all could mean for Netanyahu's time in office. I mean, you said he was slumping in the polls. I mean, could this lead to his his downfall in office once again? I think Netanyahu is currently in office, but not that much in power. And there is a feeling of blood in the water. Netanyahu is this old uh, lion. He's still a political master tactician, but he made a massive mistake here. He usually has his finger on the pulse of the Israeli public. There, there really was no thought whatsoever to the fact that perhaps they would need to convince the public. And Netanyahu thought that this was something just technical. He thought that he that his, his coalition was strong enough and therefore didn't plan anything. And this mistake has not only cost him 
the first three months of his term. Basically, the government has been doing just that, trying to pass its legislation, haven't really done anything else. And it's not just cost him the confidence of the business community, it's cost him in his relationship with the United States. And I think it, it leaves both his political opponents and partners feeling that he may have lost it. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Josh Glancy, and my guest, Times contributor in Jerusalem, Anshul Pfeffer. If you're a subscriber, you might want to read Anshul's latest report. It's about a racist and violent group of football fans who have joined the protests in favour of these reforms. You can also read more of his work at thetimes.co.uk. The producer of this podcast was Priyanka Daladia, with production support from Oliver Adamson. The executive producers today were Kate Ford and James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. See you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.